Hi, I'm Adam Summerton. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards. As you can tell by the voice, I'm a bit gruff this morning. That's going to have been at a music festival. But we'll plow on regardless. Uh, Chris Pratt, he's a... Uh, He's also a cricket captain in his local village side, so he's doing that today. So he's not here, but I have got on the line Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. And we've also got Tom Wang, the nearly married Tom Wang. Hello, Tom. Hi, Luke. And congratulations. <laughs> Thanks very much. And we've also got Dickie Wharton as well. Hello, Dickie. Hi there, Luke. Good morning, boys. So in the National League, there was two real standout results of the day. We'll come on to Halifax in a minute, but Woking, they beat Solihull Moors 2-0. Not only was that a cracking result, it meant they went top of the table, Rob. Yeah, absolutely incredible. We've we've always said this is the hardest league to predict, but this year I think it's kind of pushing new boundaries. It's quite ridiculous. Um, We'll have a look at the table in a bit. Um... A little bit upside down for most people's predictions at the start of the season, but let's start with Woking. Let's give full credit to them. I honestly thought, having seen them this season and having watched them closely and, and, and admired the brilliant way in which Alan Dowson is finding ways to win games, different ways to win games um, at this level, I honestly thought when they came up against Solihull Moors yesterday that Solihull Moors would be much better at doing what those two teams, you know, mainly do. But no, it wasn't to be. And, uh, you know, they, they, they scored a couple of early goals in the first half and then, they, you know, they, they dug in. Uh, a 2-0 win, it took them not just three points over Solihull, uh, or Solihull, but it took them top of the league as well. And they're sitting pretty five wins out of six and a point clear at the top of the National League. Uh, congratulations to Woking. Yeah. Fantastic. Start to the to the to, to the own, are they the only fully part time team in the league? I, I'm never quite sure what the status is at Chorley. No, I think Charlie Charlie are three times a week, but Maidenhead are fully part time, aren't they? Stockport kind of half and half, so um, hybrid stuff. Hybrid, yeah. yeah. But in terms of so so what you're saying, Rob, is basically walking out Solihull and Solihull. <laughs> well, I think so. I mean, obviously, I wasn't at the game. I was I was I was down down in Devon myself, but um, yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't read any more detail on the game. I think you just have to stand back and admire that result. I mean, uh, and, and, and I think Alan Dales said they hadn't quite really imposed on teams at home. They've been brilliant away from home. Three wins from three, working with eight goals scored. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they yesterday, they really did give their home fans uh, something to cheer and get behind and something to hold on to. Uh, you know, I mean, just to play Solihull more than not concede a goal. It's quite an achievement, isn't it? But to score to yourself, um, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to pour, pour any kind of doubts or anything over it. It's just an absolutely brilliant start, and uh, from Woking's point of view, long may it continue. Alan Dowson, for one, certainly doesn't expect to be there come the end of this end of the season. Um, he's vowed to show his backside in the town centre should they actually end up in the playoff positions. That'd be uh... yeah. I, I, I think that's that's that's. Standard manager talk at the start of the season, isn't it? You know, if your team starts really well, you play it down. But he will be absolutely behind the scenes, pumping his fist at that start. That is a, a brilliant, brilliant start for Woking. And you know what, though, Luke? They've only just really got the result of the day, haven't they? Because there was another fantastic one that I'm, I'm sure you want to come to now. Yeah, I was just going to say, Rob, as an older shot fan, does it sort of stick in the throat a bit that they've started off so well, Woking? Or... No, not at all. No. 
no, no, not at all. Um, for, you know, if I've got any opinion at all on how Woking do and all the shots do, it's, it's good, it's nice if they're in the same league, so you've got that derby match to, to uh, look forward to twice a season. I'm not going to make the normal joke about the six points, but... Um, <laughs> no, I don't. It doesn't. I know it's partly for me personally because I'm not from uh, Hampshire or Surrey. You know, I'm from Cambridge, so I've never really felt the rivalry this time. Plus, you know, commentating for the BBC, uh, you know, I've always got in my ear uh, a colleague, a colleague up the road who's, who's uh, commentating on working. So I hear the scores as they go through the afternoon. And it's nice for my fellow commentator that uh, he's had some goals to talk about and some wins. <laughs> Indeed. Um... Because, of course, Aldershot the only team to beat Woking this year, but we'll move on. Um, yeah, as I say, if, if that Woking result hadn't happened, then the other standout result is, is Halifax 4, filed 1, and Halifax have been strong at home this year, unbeaten, 100% record, but you wouldn't have expected them to have uh, beaten filed so well. I think when uh, Fylde conceded 4 against Woking, it made everybody sit up and take note, but you sort of kind of thought, well, that won't happen again this season. And yet it's happened again all too quickly, and uh, who knows what the issue is at far. The only one I can point to is the only caveat I put there when I predicted them to win the uh, National League this season. It's that everybody is saying this is their year. All of a sudden, the expectation on far is huge now. They've had a couple of looks at it. A couple of the big boys are out of the way. Um, and there is an expectation for far to do it. That means that week in, week out, they're going to be teams' cup final. They're going to be a massive scalp, and maybe just maybe, you know, they're, they're, they're feeling that. And, and Halifax, on the other hand, have, have pretty much got a free hit every week at the minute because everybody wrote them off, didn't they? Uh, but their start's been uh, fantastic 13 points out of 18 and a couple of decent scouts along the way. Another team who've uh, we predicted maybe would sort of uh, be in, in and around the playoffs of Bromley, but they've started off superbly as well. They're a point behind Woking and they beat Boreham Wood 1-0 on Saturday. So, yes, good result for Bromley. Um, you know, a lot, as you say, a lot of us did talk about them as potential playoff contenders this season. Um, and a lot of that was partly down to their business that they did in the summer. Um, one of the big signings they made was Michael Cheek, who guarantees goals in the National League. And it was him who was the difference yesterday as he scored just before the stroke of half-time. I think, I think that's probably a game they expect to win. Um, I personally don't think Boreham Wood are particularly strong this season. Uh, but for them to be sitting second with some of the really big players, such as A.T. Fylde, a good way below them, you know, they've got six points in the bag on Fylde already. Um, that's a really good place to be coming into September. Um, and I think the fact that some of the expected title favourites haven't, haven't come out of the blocks as much as you would have thought they would gives the likes of you know Bromley potentially Hoover, Torquay some of those other sides will be looking to target a first spot a real shot in the arm at the beginning of the season Bromley the, the only unbeaten side in the division as well mate. what I want to ask you guys about is I saw um, about Boreham Wood this week where we had a tweet from doing the 92 and it's something I noticed as well it was the bizarre rant from chairman Danny Hunt who said that he wasn't sure what else he had to do to get attendances up uh, they had just had over under 500 people attend the game against Sutton last weekend he's of course had a bit of a mixed response about this some people are, uh, say it's too expensive some are a bit sympathetic but then a lot of like from a press point of view are saying well if you're going to charge the press to get in as well what, what do you kind of expect? I've never had to pay for entry when I've gone to Bournemouth um, and now and we, need to dispel, we need to dispel, dispel that myth, guys. It's something that happened, I think, about two or three seasons ago um, when they were wanting to charge broadcast 
Um, he was asked that question and he said not kind of he's not getting fed up and he'll walk away he'll just deal um, he'll scale back on sort of the ambitions and, and how much he puts in almost basically saying they could end up going back to National League South and becoming part time again is kind of the way I read it yeah that's how I saw it I mean, I, yeah and it's difficult if we come to their form on the pitch um, they sat with five points after the first six games I, I think the, the, the players they brought in this summer are pretty good I was you know I, I, I looked on with envy at uh, Shimanga and um, you know they've obviously bought McDonnell in from Aldershot they've got a couple of players who've been there on loan before now in permanently I thought they'd do okay this season Borenwood I thought they'd be comfortable mid-table I didn't think they'd be in the relegation scrap but uh, you know that crowd was it 407 uh, um, that's going to hurt isn't it I think the warning signs were there in the playoff final when they took less than the divisional average to a playoff final um, I, I know obviously we were at that final and I was astonished by just how few Bournemouth fans were there I and mean, usually you get a big attendance bolstered by people from the local area who just want to go alongside and see a local team playing at Wembley and it just the interest just wasn't there so I think yeah I read it the same way as you Luke that he's looking at scaling back his investment potentially I think he spent over a million pounds on infrastructure developments this season their youth system's huge. They do a lot of good in the community, and I can understand an element of frustration from him that the community doesn't seem to be reciprocating with interest. But like I say, if it's just not there, if people support different clubs, if they're paying to go to other football teams on a weekend, what are you going to do? In terms of the playoff picture then, uh, Maidenhead, they're one of the surprise teams up there. They had another good win away at Yeovil this time. Yeah, fantastic. They, and Yeovil only got his 2-1 to Maidenhead, and Yeovil only got the goal four minutes from time quite an unbelievable start to the season again from Alan Devonshire's uh, side and uh, you know there's a few different ways to look at this um, you could say that because so many of these unfancied sides have started well by the time everything kind of all evens itself out the big guns get their form going this could be an incredibly close uh, league table all season couldn't it I, I've got to I've got to be honest and from, from, from my corner of looking at things I'm worried I'm really really worried because uh, my team all the shot uh, have had a bad start and I'm already looking at that table seeing them in the bottom four and looking scrambling for four cups that might just finish below them uh, and most of the teams that are picked at the start of the team are already way up that table with ten or more extra points than all the shot and that I, I mentioned all the shot only there in that in that respect just to give some perspective to it. This is a massive fillet for those clubs that are part-time or that have been written off or that nobody fancied to have 12, 13, 14 points on the board already. 
absolutely couldn't agree with you more, Rob. I think um, I, I, I agree. I think that it could end up being a very, very tight campaign on the basis of the fact that clubs you'd expect to have more points now don't, clubs you'd expect to have fewer points do. Um, and that is going to naturally congest things as we get towards the business end of the season. Um, speaking of that Oldershot Town result against Torquay yesterday, obviously Torquay aside, I thought would do quite well on their return to the National League. I thought they'd strengthened well and kept crucial players such as Jamie Reid. How, this was a fixture only two seasons ago in the National League itself. How different does that Torquay side look to, to the one that went Massive. down a few years ago? Massive. The first thing that I noticed yesterday before a ball was kicked was the atmosphere in the place. And Gary Johnson keeps mentioning it and he's not wrong. Uh, it's absolutely bubbling. They've brought the momentum up from last season. Uh, they've strengthened, strengthened. They've got a couple of key players back in on loan. One or two have signed permanently as well. And they were better in every department than all the shot yesterday. I don't really need to go on about this much because it was live on BT, so a lot of our listeners would have watched it. Torquay looked well-equipped for this division. Uh, and Aldershot, whilst I would add, it was by far their worst performance of the season, Aldershot. There hasn't been any any of the opening uh, six games that even compared to that. Danny, Danny Searle was embarrassed and ashamed of it as well and apologised to the fans. But... Uh, from Torquay's point of view, threats all over the pitch, and I love you know, great steel signing Armani Little, Lemon Hay Evans, and Craig Reed. You know they're not the biggest players, but they come off their defenders, they drop deep, they get involved in the build-up play, uh, and they really, really impressed me yesterday. Um, funnily enough, at the game down at uh, Playmore, before uh, a ball was kicked, I, I bumped into the former Torquay manager Kevin Nicholson to get his take on things and, and find out what he's up to. Here's my chat with him. I'm joined for the NL full-time podcast by a very familiar face here at Plainmore, Kevin Nicholson. And uh, Kevin, you're here as a BBC summariser today, but we were just uh, saying prior to this chat that talking against Aldershot's got a bit of a ring about it. There's been a few tense struggles that you've played in and managed in and everything over the years. It's, it's one you look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, it always has been. I mean, Aldershot's one of those clubs that you see how well supported it is it's always a nice place to go and play um pitch is always fantastic and and my career just happens to have kind of gone along the same lines of what what league older shot i've been in i've been playing so um i think every season really i've been good fun <laughs> now a little bit of breaking news some people to know others won't yeah you've got yourself a new job tell us about that yeah i've just started as the head of coach in exeter city so um Fascinating job, a little bit different to, to what I've been doing in the past. This is um, this is trying to coach the coaches and and help them affect the players that way, rather than being out on the the, the training pitch myself. But it's uh, it's brilliant. It's one of those things where you've got to learn a new way because Exeter are very detailed in how they do things, and there's a hell of a lot for me to pick up before I can start applying it. But um, they're a they're a very forward-thinking club, and uh, and I'm really really privileged to have that job. How will the Torquay fans? see that they'd be pleased to see you back in work obviously it's one of the rivals isn't it Exeter <laughs> yeah well I, I've, I've not been lynched on my walk up the, uh, up the steps yet and I've had a couple shake my hand and, and say well done for getting back into it so uh, I think they all understand that you know I, I had my time here and I, and I loved it and I had a great relationship with the fans here but um, uh, we've all moved on and so it's it's time for me now to try and uh, affect another football club positively and, and what better one to start at somewhere like Exeter and final question for you. Uh, I know you've kept abreast of the National League and the conference as it was before since you uh, were, you know, your time in management here. Is there a, any way in which you noticed in the last two, three, four years that it's, that it's changed at all? 
it's it's very similar in the way that there's a, a a lot of the clubs the same kind of names that are in it but what what you tend to find is that there's a lot of big clubs that have hit hard times that have fallen to the level and they have a um, expectation but not maybe the finances that they used to have to do it and then on the flip side you have these clubs that aren't as well established that are coming along with what seems like crazy money and it it makes for what always looks like a really strange mix at the at the top and bottom of the league where teams you'd expect to be up there are struggling and teams that uh, are pretty new on the scene are up there and fighting for promotion and so it's a very very difficult um, league to, to to read and to i mean i certainly wouldn't bet anything on it um but uh, it, it's it's fascinating like that and a non-league football has just got that passion about it the, you know the way the fans kind of mingle at stadiums the way that everybody wears a heart on the sleeve there's a lot of passion involved and and it's something that's always going to be close to my heart now it's very early days and and i'm sure when you're a manager you said don't even look at the table till eight ten games but Woken have had a fantastic start. As we chat, they're actually beating Solihull Moors as well and could go top of the league tonight. And, and that's incredible as the only fully part-time team in this league. Um, that's obviously a great achievement to start with. Do you think being part-time, it's over the course of the, the marathon, the 46 games that might catch up with them? Um, possibly, but even the part-time boys now, you know, it's part-time in terms of their training as a group. But I'm sure that they all go away and do an essentially a full-time training job on themselves. I imagine most of those guys, their main income will be the football itself. And so I think it's more than them just rocking up once or twice a week and training and then hoping for the best on the Saturday. They're, they're going to be a professionally run team that just happen to only train twice a week as a group. But they'll be fit, they'll be well prepared and, and they've had the momentum of getting promoted last year. So, you know, they've, they're, they're still riding that wave and, and fair play to them. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you go and take up your BBC duties now, but uh, good luck with a new role at Exeter. Thank you very much. So that was the ex-Tarkey manager, Kevin Nicholson. It's uh, great to see him back in football, uh, down at their local rivals, Exeter City. Well, the results and um, what what stands out for you? I know Chris went to a Stockport's game at Harrogate and he said uh, they were the better side but lost in injury time. That's a big boost for Harrogate, who haven't started the season quite as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Harrogate have had an indifferent start already looking like uh, they can they can get a point most weeks minimum um, and uh, Bradley's goal there Alex Bradley's goal in the 90th minute secured a precious three points it would have relieved a lot of pressure off uh, Simon Weaver's shoulders because the expectations are very much for another playoff season for Harrogate Town um, in, in terms of the rest of the game well, I think the majority of the ones that we haven't discussed ended in draws I think there were six draws in the National League yesterday um, probably the most creditable of them was found themselves 2-0 down after 25 minutes at home to Ian Everett's impressive uh, young Barrow side but uh, they, they got their way back into this one and uh, 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 another penalty for uh, Scott Bowden uh, and uh, Mike Fonda to long he's changed cuts but boy he loves August doesn't he Fonda yeah oh definitely yeah and, and I was going to come to you on this result Tom as well because we had, we had a laugh about Chesterfield drawing a load last year. Well, they're kind of doing it again this year. And also Barrow, I think in three away games, they've led in three away games this year and, and failed to hold on. So that's a, that'll be a concern for them as well. Yeah, it'll be a concern. And it's not really a new one, is it? We know how strong Barrow are at home. We know what difficult place Barrow is to go. But they really, if they want to take that next step up the table and push for the playoff place that they feel they deserve, then they really need to start converting some of those single points into triple points. Um, 
And speaking of single points as well, obviously Ebb Street got their first yesterday, um, drawing two all at home to Notts County to finally break their, their point stuck in the sixth match of the season. Um, it's a club where I don't think great things are expected of them this season because of all the off-field uh, turmoil they've had. But to only be picking up your first point after six matches, um, I think that's quite a surprise. I think we all looked at Gary Hill and thought he'd do enough to, to have them in mid-table and safety, but uh, it doesn't look that way after six games of the season. I mean, just a couple of other teams I want to uh, pick up on, obviously. Hartlepool, they're, they're surprisingly struggling. I mean, they've, they've got a good squad again this year and they brought in some good signings, but they've just not got it together and they drew nil-nil with Charlie. Good point for Charlie, but they're just a point above the relegation zone at the minute and I can't fathom them out at all. No, I mean, all the vibes coming out of Hartlepool is that Craig Hignett wants them to attack, 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 and there was an excitement about that at the start of the season, but there you go with a nil, and from Charlie's point of view, that's good, because they started off the season with a couple of clean sheets, didn't they, and then they got uh, a bit of a hammer in and uh, started to leak goals, but uh, that's a good point, a good clean sheet for them. And there was one other side that we didn't mention who won yesterday, and that was uh, Andy Hedgetal and Dover, who... Uh, uh, took the lead uh, early on at Sutton. Uh, Jamie Collins levelled things just on half-time and then in the end, Leon got a winner in the second half for Dover, which keeps them well up there as well. And Sutton, to be fair, to give Matt Gray the new uh, manager there a little bit of um, credit, that's their first defeat of the season. And after six games, they sit on goal difference in seventh place, just touching the final playoff position behind Dover. Which, just out of interest, uh, maintains Dover's 100% away record for the season, um, along with Maidenhead and Woking. There you go, great stat. That's usurped your stat, Dickie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go find another one now. <laughs> so now we're going to move on to the National League North. Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full Time Podcast. And in the National League North, it's been. Uh, it's been another. It was another interesting weekend. I mean, York again, the standout team, Dicky. It was Spenny Moore's first home game of the season because they've been doing stuff with the ground and things like that. And you could see the the build tight the fences up for the building site and things like that. But that's a really good win for York because Spenny Moore were really strong at home, weren't they last season? Oh yeah, it is. I mean, Brewery Field is um, is, a, is a real stronghold for Spenny Moore. Um, and to go there and win 4-1 is a great result for your big I think they were 3-1 up by half-time they went into a 3-0 lead so anymore got one back but you know you're pretty much in control of it then aren't you by half-time they added a fourth in the same half um, and yeah your car they were my tip to to go uh, to win the championship in, and they certainly look you know they're looking a good bed for that at the moment uh, Spenny Moore, obviously, it, things are a little bit different for them. Uh, they played two games fewer than everybody else, but they've got only one point from those mm. four games. Three defeats, and that's very uncharacteristic of Spenny Moore. Um, I watched the interview with Jason Ainsley, their manager, afterwards. He, he just said things that aren't going for them at the moment. They're getting punished for their mistakes. Um, he's generally happy with the effort from the players, but... Um, you know, he says if you're making mistakes, you can't expect to win games. But um, no excuses for him. Says they can't feel sorry for themselves, and they've just got to um, stick to what they do and, and, and hope it'll come good. Yeah, down there, down there at the bottom, along with Blythe, who drew with Bradford Park Avenue yesterday. It was a battle of the basement boys, and Bradford Park Avenue moved out of that relegation zone with that draw. But Spenmore and Blythe occupying the bottom two at the minute. 
In second place, a team you saw uh, last week, Dickie, and uh, they got a really good result again. It was a late kickoff against Curzon Ashton due to, I presume, delays in Curzon getting there. And they did fall behind early on, but that uh, that combination up front of Marriott and Gash did the job. They bagged a double each, and uh, they're now in second place. Absolutely, yeah. I think you've pretty much read my mind on that. On the notes that made for that one, um, we said about Kings Lane being a difficult place to go this season. It certainly was for Curzon Ashton yesterday because I think their bus broke down on the way, so it was a late kickoff. Um, they didn't show any immediate hangover from that, and they uh, they, they took a one 0 lead. Uh, Ian Culverhouse, the Kings Lane manager, said he thinks some of that might have been because his players were kind of sat around waiting, had a prolonged sort of wait, and then. Um, it, it took that to sort of like kick them into gear, but when they did kick into gear, they, they did it with style. Two goals each for Michael Gash and Adam Marriott. Yes, they, I saw them both score at Telford last week, and they scored two each yesterday. So um, they might be veterans, but they certainly know where the goal is. And um, yeah, Kingsley up to second. In Corbett says the boys have, are answering the challenges that get put in front of them. Said they, they felt their goals were sublime. And um, yeah, a, a tremendous start to the season. Curzon. Would be a little bit disappointed, I'm sure. They started four and beaten, but have lost their last two on the trot. So things just evening out a little bit for them too. And Rob, I'll just come to you on this, but that's a really experienced forward line for Kingsland, isn't it? Marriott and Gash, they've both done it at the league above as well. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? If you want to do well at one league, get get players that have proven they can do it at one one level above. I've got to hold my hands up. I I, I didn't see Kingsland kicking on at this level. I thought they might struggle, and uh, Chris. He, he saw them last year and he said he thought they'd do well, they'd be well equipped and uh, that's certainly been the case were it not for the uh, fantastic start from York, they'd be sat top of the table but they'll take second and snap your hand off for that Yeah, in- indeed and, and um I'm sure another uh, set of managers who'd, who'd snap their hands off at a Chester because uh, I know Chris tipped them to to uh, go for as champions and they're just they're four points behind York but another good win for them they won at Kidderminster on Saturday. They did, yeah. The Chester, the only other team in the division who were unbeaten at the moment, and I think that's a good sign for um, Anthony Johnson and Bernard Morley that, that they're, they're becoming that that team that are difficult to beat, which I think is a hallmark of their sides. Uh, Matty Hughes' goal in the first half got them the three points yesterday. Um, and Bernard Morley was really pleased with that, says they're gaining confidence every game, starting to believe that maybe they're a, a, a better side the players have thought themselves to be earlier in the season that they're gaining that confidence. And um, yeah, I think they've got a, a, quite a big game with Hereford on Monday uh, up at the Diva, so uh, they'd be looking to extend that unbeaten run, I'm sure. Yeah, just a point ahead of Hereford, they drew one long with Brackley, so not the worst result in the world for them. And then just behind them are Alverton, Geisley and, and Farsley, who for me got the result of the day of going up to Gateshead and getting a superb 3 0 win. Yeah, and um, that, that's a tremendous result. Gateshead were unbeaten before yesterday, admittedly, they'd drawn four of the five. Um, but to go there and get a 3 0 win at Gateshead for Farsley was a tremendous result. Adam Lakeman said, felt they thoroughly deserved it um, they, they, they grew into the game I think it was nil-nil at half-time but three goals in the second half from Spencer Parkin and, and Walton give them the win there and, and Farsley have, uh, looked like they're adjusting to, to life at this level really very well you mentioned Alfreton and Geisley as well I think they swapped positions in the league as a result of that um, mm. 4-2 win for Alfreton yesterday at Nethermore um, it was a bit of a topsy-turvy one, that one. I think Geisley were ahead, then Alfredton went 2-1 up. Geisley levelled, 
then two late goals from Alfredton, one from the penalty spot, gave them a 4-2 win. I think Alfredton scored four for the second week in a row. Um, things are looking a bit brighter at the Impact Arena this season. I don't think Alfredton, I think Alfredton were a, a really... Their season last season was very strange to quantify, but mm. Billy Heath looks like he's perhaps getting things together at there a bit more this season though. Yeah, it was a bit underwhelming for Alverton last year, but they've got, as you say, Billy Heath there and uh, lots of experience going on there. And in terms of another team that's surprised, but should we be surprised? Everyone writes them off a bit like Curzon, a Gloucester. Uh, they started off the season really well, and they had a really good 3-0 win against Boston, didn't they, on Saturday? They did indeed. Um, another, it's yet another instance where Boston were unbeaten going into yesterday, but, but Gloucester took their unbeaten record for them, 3-0. Um, they're up to eighth place in the division. Really surprised at how Altrincham have started. They've really, I know that they're not they're always the quickest starters, but they seem to have really sort of stuttered. They got six points from six games, so I suppose it's not a disaster for them. But I'm supposed they would want want to be a bit higher up in the table as well. Yeah, I don't think it's what they would have wanted or what anybody would have expected. I think uh, they've perhaps had a, some some tricky fixtures in there in that they faced. Um, you know some of the teams that people are going to be expecting to be up near the top of the table by the end of the season. But um, yeah, I mean, altering them. Uh, my feeling was that they were they were clearly gearing up to try and go one better from where they were last season. Then it's not quite fallen into place yet. But um, you know, as I say six from six is is okay. It's a reasonable start. But um, I'm going to be hoping for better. And finally, Leamington, I mean, they continue to defy everyone, don't they, Dickie? They're, they're in a good, solid mid-table position at the minute. They had a good win over Kettering. Yeah, they are. I'll see them tomorrow. They're at, um, they're at Topper tomorrow for the Bank Holiday game. Um, they had a 3-1 win over, over Kettering, which uh, I think puts them up into 12th place. It's just... Um, it, it, it's exactly what you'd expect from, from, from Leamington in that, that, you know, they're a much better team than... Um, they would almost want to have you believe, I would think, at some times. You know, they do to have that surprise element about them. Um, for Kettering, it's, it's it, after that opening day victory over Telford, they've, they've stuttered a bit since then. I think it's four defeats and one draw in the five subsequently. So we've, we've spoken about the promoted sides who have adjusted to this level. They're one of the ones you're finding it a little bit more difficult at the moment, and they sit down in 19th. Um, but you know, again, it's it's six games gone. Teams still have the opportunity to sort of turn things around, get on a run, and it can a, a run of five, six good results in this league can make such a massive difference to you in the final outcome. Brilliant. We'll move on now to the National League South. Hi, I'm Harry Wheeler, and you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast. So, in the National League South, Wheelstone. They stay top. They're roaring away, and they they beat um, they beat Ian Herring's Hungerford on Saturday. And last week, Ian Herring was raving about Wilson, saying what a good side they were, and so it proved again on Saturday. Yeah, and um, I don't think I don't think there's any surprise to us, is it, that Wilson are a very good side? Um, I think maybe the fact that they sit top at, at this nascent stage of the league is a surprise because of the strength of some of the other teams, such as having and, and Maidstone, for example. But um, when you look at the players they brought in over the summer, and I know I said this in the preseason podcast, there are there are National League quality players in there, the likes of Ross Lafayette, who, who's been scoring well since the season started. Mm. Um, 
But uh, Dean Brennan's not resting on his laurels either. He's gone out and signed Phil Roberts um, in the last sort of eight days, seven or eight days, I think. Um, picking up Billy Clifford and Michael Phillips, both very, very effective midfielders in the National League South. Um, I've I, been honest about this. Um, as much as I like Ian Herring and what he's doing at Hungerford, I don't think they've got the squad to survive this season. So to see Wilson beat them 3-1 isn't a huge surprise. But the firepower in that Wheelstone team is is quite something. Um, even when you move away from the likes of Lafayette and Roberts, the two, two main men, Sanchez Watt on his day can be brilliant. Denon Lewis on his day can be brilliant. The John Noel Williams is a bit untested at this level, but he looked good when he was on loan last year. Um, and Dean Brennan's really got a good squad for National League South football. Um, and it just, he's sort of uh, threatened to break that glass ceiling with Hemel Hempstead over the last few years. And it could be really, really interesting to see how, just, just how far he can take this Wilson team if they continue to back him with the sort of signings they're making. Um, and also, let's not forget, they, they signed Connor Stevens to a, a, a contract until 2021, about two weeks ago, which is a, a real statement of intent for a step two football team, I think. Yeah, that, that phrase entered my head as well, statement of intent. It comes out a lot, that, doesn't it? But they've obviously got the building blocks in place to push on there at Wheelstone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they get, you know, not huge attendances, but um, decent, decent attendances for... The National League South they've got 771 yesterday I think um, they've they've averaged so far this season uh, 884 which is around about the same as last year so they're pretty decent for, for the Southern Step 2 division um, but it, you know it's, it's a densely populated area I think if they go up next uh, go up this season you can expect to see them pulling in over a thousand so there is potential to grow the club I know there's a couple of results that caught your eye on one of them was a slow beating Bath and coming from behind to beat Bath as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Slough's victory at Bath and um, yeah, Chippenham's victory at Weymouth um, took care of two of the remaining three unbeaten records in the league and I know it will come to happen later. But um, yeah, what a fantastic result for Slough at home to a very strong Bath City side. Um, they went a goal up but were pegged back to being 2-1 back. Uh, that man Tyler Harvey continuing his goal-scoring form from last season. Um, but then two late, late goals um, by Williams and Harris, 87th and 90th minute, gave Slough Town a victory. Five points. Uh, it was their first win of the season. So uh, they'll, they'll obviously the joint managers down there. John Underwood and Neil Baker will be delighted to have got that three points on the board. Um, and I, I, th- I think Slough are just going to be comfortable again this season. I think they're a really solid outfit and they just work so hard. It's no surprise to see them getting a last-minute victory because... The, the work rate and the intensity they put in on the pitch teams will struggle that in the last five and ten minutes of matches Chippenham um, they got they scored, they got, got a Chris Zabroska who's dropped down for me so that's a really good signing for them isn't it he scored yes he yeah. scored against Weymouth yeah that was his first goal of the season for Chippenham um, also Weymouth's first loss I think you know Chippenham winning 1-0 they're, they're going well they're just outside the playoff positions so obviously we're only six matches in but um, you know that's the sort of place you'd expect them to occupy in the table. Um, Chris Broski is a very good signing. Um, another ex-Argyle player who's playing National League South at the moment. Um, but really, I think the fact that Weymouth have just had their first defeat of the season really highlights what an impressive start they've made back in the National League South. Um, and, and all, all credit to them for that. 
And another team made a really impressive start who struggled last year at Dulwich Hamlet. They won 3 0 at Eastbourne Borough. And, and as you say, um, Reese Alessani's recently signed for them, and he, he scored the third goal yesterday. Yeah, he came in on loan. He's in on loan with them until January from, uh, I think it's Coventry City, um, where he went a couple of seasons ago. He's never really sort of made the breakthrough there. Um, to be honest, I didn't expect to see him playing back in National League South. Uh, Alessani is, without a shadow of doubt, a, a football league talent. Um, came through at the academy at Crystal Palace. He's a really tidy player. Um, but I thought if he was to drop back down into the non-league game, it would be with a National League club. So this is a real coup for Dulwich to have brought him in. Um, he scored on his debut, or his re-debut yesterday. Danny Mills got another two, which takes him up to four for the season. You know, he's been threatening to score, to score consistently for a while now at Ebbsfleet, uh, um, at Dartford, uh, and now at Dulwich. It looks like he may have found his home because that's a really strong start of the season for him. And in third place, Robert Billericke, they won three-two against Ian Allinson's St Albans. Again, a topsy-turvy game there. Yeah, well, Jake Robinson, uh, back to good goal scoring form for them. He got things underway after uh, just seven minutes. He, he, he was a bit of a ding dong in the first half. It ended up two all at the point. Uh, but just on hand, just a few minutes from time to three points for, for Billericke. And that keeps them nicely um, in uh, third place uh, after six games. They've had a pretty solid start, particularly at home. Uh, they've won all their home matches, and uh, everything would suggest that they'll still be up there come the end of the season and, and, and the same has to be said of course about Paul Doswell's Haven and Waterloo Bill who haven't ripped it up they did get themselves uh, another win uh, three minutes up for Jank are you going to the score sheet again Tom you rate him don't you I do yeah I mean I remember Paul Doswell signed him at Sutton and he was listed as a you know Dion Dublin-esque centre-back or centre-forward and he played both positions in their pre-season friendly against Coventry and he looked good but he didn't, didn't ever really look like he suited the style of the team. Um, so it's quite surprising then that Doswell would choose to take him down to Haven as well. Um, but the side looks set up to get the best out of him. I know it's something I've said before, but both him and Kedwell will get so many crosses and that really just suits Aylmer's game. I think that's is that six or seven for the season for him now. Um, which at this early stage of the campaign is, is a really impressive return. Yeah, and he's got the band back together at Haven, hasn't he? He's got the likes of Nicky Bailey and, as you say, Ayunga's there. He's taken quite a few with him from Sutton. He has, and it's, it's been really interesting. So a lot of the commentary was that Sutton would struggle because Dolotwell had persuaded all their best players to go. And I know I sort of said I disagreed with that in the pre-season podcast and it's sort of been borne out with Sutton's start to the season. Most of the players that went down to Haven with Paul Doswell were not necessarily players that um, the Sutton's new new leadership wanted to retain. So it sort of worked out pretty well for both clubs. Um, Sutton got a new chapter. They got a fresh start with a new manager being able to pick the squad he wanted. Haven't got a, a very, very competent manager who could bring with him the players that he knew and knew he could work with. Um, and you can see it in both sides starts of the season. It's, it's reaping dividends. One result as well that I thought was uh, quite interesting was it, it was a really good win for Maidstone at Concord and Maidstone haven't started the season as well as everyone w- uh, would thought but really tough place to go Concord isn't it? Yeah it is um, and I think actually looking around the fan forums one of the few groups of people who didn't expect Maidstone to do maybe as well as the rest of us did were actually Maidstone fans mm. um, quite a few of them seem to be 
quite pessimistic about the start of the season. I think they felt a lot of their decent players had left and they weren't completely confident with the standard of player they brought in to replace them. Um, I noticed that they signed one of your old old muckers, Rob, Matt McClure, joined them a few weeks ago and I think that's now his second winning goal in, in a row. Uh, two weeks on the yeah. trial, he scored the winner for Maidstone. He's a bit of an enigma of a player. You really know much time at him on his day. You look at him and you think, yeah, you've got it. You've got something a little bit different. And it doesn't all add up because you, you, you look at, you look at uh, you know, the talent he possesses and you think that has to be a 15 to 20 goals a season man. And yet it's never quite happened for him. Hopefully, um, this is the right time with his maturity and level probably for him. Um, to get that consistency this season. It's great to see. I know he's been training with Maidstone for quite a while. Eventually, uh, they did sign him and he's started to make an impact. Uh, well done, Matt McClure. Great to see him uh, enjoying his football and scoring some goals again. Another result that stood out for me a little bit, Tom, was Hampton and Richmond Borough that gained their first win of the season at Darkin. Sam Deadfield, who scored the winner, and, and he has raised them from the dead because they're in the bottom two, but they were, they're not now, are they? No, they're not, and um, that victory um, means there's now only one side without a win um, in the National League South, and that's St Albans City, who, as Rob discussed, lost to Billericay. Uh, but that's a really important win for Hampton and Richmond. Um, I think it's slightly unusual that we should be talking about that as a slight surprise victory, considering it's only two years ago that Hampton and Richmond were playoff finalists, whilst Dorking, two seasons ago, were playing their first ever season of Step 3 football. Um, but it just shows how far both clubs have transitioned in opposite directions, really. Um, Dorking are absolutely on the rise. They've got a really strong squad. They've started the season brilliantly. Um, you know, even with that, that defeat yesterday, they're still sitting in ninth position. Um, and they've got goal scorers throughout the squad. Whereas Hampton on the other side, ever since uh, Alan Dawson's gone down the road to Woking, they seem to they've just hit the stoppers, really. Um, and Gavin McCann just hasn't really seemed to know what his best squad is. He chopped and changed last season. He tried to bring in a lot of players from Hendon. Um, this year, he went for a different strategy in his summer recruitment. Um, he pulled in a few players from Step 3, but he also brought in a lot of uh, younger players from Premier League clubs, the likes of Tyrone Luthwaite, who's had such a good start to the season. Brought in real experienced quality, the likes of Dean Idman. Um, and, of course, Danilo Orsi-Dodomo, who we're all, all such fans of here on the podcast. Um, but, yeah, it's... Sam Deadfield, another player who he's brought up from Step 3, signed him from Basic, or Step 4 now, rather, signed him from Basic State Town in the summer, uh, who got the goal, and hopefully that can kick-start the Beavers' season. Yeah, and just um, before we head off, a couple uh, couple more results. Are you surprised at how Dartford have started, Tom? They had a good come-from-behind win against Braintree on Saturday, but they're kind of down uh, in amongst the... Well, they're in amongst the bottom five, aren't they? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't... I didn't think Dartford were likely to be playoff contenders this season, um, but I certainly expected them to be uh, better than they have been so far. Um, yeah, to see them sitting down at 18th at the beginning of the season is, is slightly surprising. But then again, this is the sort of this is the time of year where you, you're likely to see the odds sort of anomalous result. Um, I think they they got the win against Braintree yesterday. Obviously, that's absolutely an expected result. Um, 
I don't, I don't think they'll be down that end of the table for a huge amount more time. Chelsea did well, and it was well, they're both in mid-table, and they, they cancelled each other's out. The, the, the goals in that game came in the last six minutes of the game. Bradley Goldberg gave well in the lead, and that was cancelled out by a last-minute equaliser by Sean Jeffers. And then also Hemel Hempstead, they got a win away at Oxford City again. Not a surprise in that one, really, Tom, was there? No, not really. I think um, Oxford are some of the... A team that a lot of us tips to struggle since they lost Shamanga's goals over summer. Whereas Hamill, um, like I said earlier, they've been sort of threatening to threaten for a few seasons now. They brought in Sammy Moore and Jack Midson Concord. They brought in the bulk of that team, which did so well last season. So I don't think we should be surprised to see them starting the season as well as they have. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us, Rick. Uh, thank you, Rick. <laughs> thank-, <laughs> thank you. For- <laughs> thank you for joining us this week, Dicky. That's all right, Luke. Speak to you next week. And you too, Rob, as well. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, pleasure as always. I'm off to Poland next weekend, boys, so I'm going to take a break. Um, we're going to have a female on the podcast, aren't we, Luke? Yeah, we are. I'm going to uh, dress up as my alter ego. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 and, uh, <laughs> yeah, listen to next week's podcast to find out more. And, Tom, thank you very much for joining us as well. Uh, thanks for having me, as always. Nice one. Uh, that is it. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us as well. Follow us on Twitter at NLFullTime. You can always email us nlfulltime at gmail.com. Until then, we'll see you all next week.